When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I am Nicholas Gordon, host of the Asian Review of Books podcast done in partnership with the New Books Network. In this podcast, we interview fiction and nonfiction authors working in, around, and about the Asia-Pacific region. The opening story of Eternal Summer of My Homeland, the debut story collection from Singaporean author Agnes Chu, is about grief. Hui Shan loses her mother right before the birth of her first child, and then gradually cuts her father out of her life after he refuses to do the traditional things one does to commemorate the death of a family member. But then she learns what her father has actually been doing, growing a garden illegally on Singaporean government land. Agza's stories are all about Singapore and its multiculturalism, its tradition, and its modernity. And, as she explains in today's interview, the collection is in fact her attempt to reconnect with the city after moving away to Germany. Agnes is also the author of The Desire for Elsewhere, a collection of travel essays. Her work has appeared in Granta, Necessary Fiction, and Wildness Journal, among others. She holds a master's degree in national development from the London School of Economics. Her prize-winning dissertation, which examines inequality and societal well-being in Singapore, was featured in the Singapore Policy Journal. So, Agnes, thank you so much for coming on to the Asian Review of Books podcast today. Um, you know, maybe to start with, I guess, a very, a very um, obvious starting question. Uh, what inspired you to write this short story collection, Eternal Summer of My Homeland, in the first place? Why, why you decide to, to kind of start on this, on the story collection? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Nicholas. Well, I began writing the stories that formed this book um, shortly after I moved from Singapore to Germany, and that was in early 2020. And soon after I relocated, as we all know, the pandemic hit, and I was unable to travel back home. And that was even when my father got hospitalized in Singapore. And so it was a difficult time for me. I was feeling all kinds of emotions, from homesickness to even guilt. And I then decided to channel all these emotions I was feeling into writing stories about my home country. And I found that doing so allowed me to kind of transport myself, at least briefly, back to the place that I was so longing for. And so I would say my book was really born out of this deep yearning for home at the time of the pandemic. Mm. Um, and I want to maybe ask about some like some like some particular inspirations um, mm. 
of Singapore uh, in terms of coming up with these short stories. Because, you know, it's, it's I think, I'm trying to think, or, or all of these stories are, um, you know, they're they're all bittersweet at best, if not if not mm. if if not if not quite sad. Um, and so, kind of, what were some particular inspirations um, that that you wanted to draw upon um, when you were thinking of these stories and how they are set in Singapore? Mm. Well, I guess every story in this book was actually inspired by a particular German word. So as I shared earlier, I started writing it shortly after I moved to Germany. And at that time, I was also starting to learn the German language again. And I came across certain German words that are said to be untranslatable. And I found myself really fascinated by them, by the multitudes they seem to contain. So one example is like fan bay, which comprises the words distance and ache, and it refers to this deep yearning um, to travel to somewhere far away. And another example is Fischlin Besser Room, um, that refers to an attempt intended to improve, but instead worsens things. And I found that this word strangely um, resonated very deeply with me at that time, and they moved me very deeply as well. And I was so inspired by them that I began writing stories that kind of attempted to encapsulate the essence of each of these words. But the story is all set in a Singaporean context. And I would say that, that was how this collection was conceived. And those feelings of um, bittersweetness that you mentioned, I guess, that was um, one of the dominant um, emotions I was feeling at that time and that kind of probably pervaded um, into the fabric of the book. It, it's, it's interesting that, 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 that each of the short stories um, connects to a particular German word. Um, mm. I guess, could you, I wonder if you might give me an example, kind of what was, like, what, what was one word in particular, maybe, um, and how does it connect to uh, one of the short stories in the collection? I mean, maybe maybe you can you can, you can explain this the, this connection for me mm -hmm. um, with with reference to one of the stories in the collection. Yeah, sure. So earlier I mentioned the word "fashion better room," an attempt intended to improve but actually makes things worse. And um, this story, uh, the story that was inspired by this word is actually for one minute on stage. And this story is essentially about a young musician, a boy playing the Chinese trumpet in the Chinese orchestra in school. And he follows his mother's advice to get braces. But um, the act of having braces essentially um, kind of acts as an obstacle um, for him in terms of securing his place um, as a concert soloist. So then something that was meant to kind of improve his dental hygiene and his overall appearance ends up being something very detrimental um, to achieving one of his personal goals. So uh, this is like one example out of all the words. Um, so I want to maybe start diving into some of the short stories in your collection. Um, <laughs> And, and 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 please feel free to free to talk about um, the premises behind some of these short stories. Um, but I wanted to start with uh, the very first story in your collection, which is which is Garden City, um, and it's one of a couple stories 
um, in the collection that deals with um, Singapore's elderly, um, elderly parents who I think are increasingly living alone as their children go off to live the rest of their lives, often in an entirely different household. Um, and these characters are looking for things to occupy them, whether um, it's in the case of, in the case of Garden City, uh, growing a garden on government land where they're not supposed to. Um, but <laughs> what did you want to portray about kind of how Singaporean families are changing um, with stories like Garden City? Well, my initial intention um, behind writing this story, I mean, maybe I will go back um, to the word that inspired the story. Um, mm. That was um, about Aizam Kai, and this word kind of um, captures the solitude that one feels from being in a forest alone. And at that time, when I started writing the story, the image I had in my mind was of this character, an old man, who was trying to create a garden on government land. And then questions started coming up in my head, like, why is he alone? Why is he trying to create a garden there? And then the character of his late wife appeared in my mind and his daughter as well. And then I started getting quite um, curious about how um, uh, the same incident could kind of affect two different characters in very, very different ways and how they could kind of cope with the death of the mother figure in the family and how their different responses could kind of in turn shape or change irrevocably their, their relationship with each other. So I think that was um, the, original, the, the original intention behind writing this story. And I think what you mentioned about um, the changing structures of families and the elderly in Singapore, um, that kind of came then in a more secondary way. Um, I think from the daughter's point of view, I was also trying to portray within the family the role that women take, the burden, the, the proportionally increased burden of women within a domestic household. How, so for example, in the story, um, the daughter character is very stricken um, with grief after the loss of her mother. And she herself has just given birth um, to a child. And she's struggling to kind of manage the household, to take care of the baby. And she has recently given up her job to kind of over the domestic responsibilities within the household and her husband isn't really he tries to be understanding but he he doesn't really do enough um to contribute as well and i think through that i was trying to explore like the kind of often invisible assumed burdens that women take um in a domestic setting as you know, it's it's not the only story that kind of deals with um with these sorts of household changes. I mean, I think I'm thinking of the story uh home with um with the 61-year-old woman who increasingly spends her time, if not thinks are living at Shanghai's Changi Airport. Um I wonder if I'm gonna talk a little bit more about about that story and what inspired um I guess that 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 character. Mm. Well, for that story, um 
The word that inspired that story was Laban's Yuga, which translates directly into life lie. It refers to a lie that, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that someone tells him or herself to make life more bearable. And I think um, for that particular story, I was trying to explore how for a lot of people, we kind of go through life without thinking very intentionally or actively about what we want to do or what we want to pursue, either because we do not have the freedom or capacity um, to do so, or sometimes we just kind of get swept into the whole motion of um, trying to check off the milestones that conventionally, um, what society conventionally defines as, as success, right? And then at the end of our life, or as we approach like late middle age, and that's when we start to reflect on life and reflect on the choices and the paths that we have made. And then, you know, the regrets start to trickle in. And I think I was, in writing that story, I was interested in kind of exploring how that situation could look like for a 61-year-old woman who has essentially kind of given up her whole life um, for her family. And in that instance, um, not having received um, from her family the kind of love and time and affection she has given them. Um, yeah, and the fact that she is essentially kind of a homeless person living in Changi Airport I think the location for me was also quite important because I wanted to convey the fact that, you know, Singapore on the outside looks like this very successful country um, for its economic prosperity, um, with an award-winning airport and all of that. But under that veneer, behind that veneer, um, I think there is a significant amount of inequality and there are people living on the periphery that are not so obvious to um to the rest of the community if you don't look closely and I think through writing this particular story I was trying to kind of maybe cast light or offer a different perspective of a person who could be living in the same society but not having enjoyed the outcomes that perhaps the majority has managed to enjoy through the country's um successes. And speaking speaking of that of that sentiment, um, you know, I feel like that that that's a good pivot to talk about um another story in collection, which is you know when what is linear meanders, which is um the story about uh, a girl who who has to go through lots of procedures, um to fix a curved spine, um, which ends up setting her back, I think, permanently, um, academically, professionally. Uh, I mean, it's a story about adversity, but it's also, you know, about a, a, a person who does not to, I guess, is permanently set back and is not able to meet, um, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, lofty expectations were 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 placed on her um i guess because of this of this of this medical event mm -hmm. yeah i think um 
that for that particular story, I think I was trying. So for that story, is about a girl getting a medical diagnosis that essentially um sends her life veering off in very unexpected um directions, and I think I was trying to explore how circumstances that may happen to a person that is beyond their control could kind of drastically shape their life and their paths and the possibilities that could remain open to them. So while this story, I actually drew quite heavily from my personal experience in writing this story. Um, when I was younger, I was myself diagnosed with scoliosis. And while my condition wasn't quite as severe as depicted in the story, um, it made me start wondering and asking myself a lot of questions. So for example, like, what if a different set of circumstances have happened? Um, what if I had met different types of doctors or specialists or received um, different types of advice? Um, if I had made a different set of choices. Um, and yeah, it, it just got me thinking. And then from, through, through all those questions, I began to write this story um, told from the voice of this young girl who then is driven in many different directions because of the circumstances that happened to her. And I think um, in doing so, it was a way for me to kind of think about how people who end up in certain situations may not necessarily um, end up in that way purely because of the decisions that they have made, but rather because of the way, um, of the circumstances that life has, has placed on them. Now, I want to talk about, I think, a very different story um in the collection and 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 it really is very different from anything from any other um from, from from every other story which is uh diary of an employee um <laughs> which is strangely kind of one of i i is one of my favorites in, in the collection actually um oh, it is very <laughs> different from the others um <laughs> but uh i guess what kind of drove that that particular entry um, it certainly connects, I think, to, I'm sure, common sentiments, common feelings in a lot of workplaces today. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, what, what kind of drove that particular entry in the collection? Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed the story. Um, I also had the most fun writing this story out of all the rest in the collection. Um, the word that inspired the story is actually Vulcan Kukuzheim, which translates into cloud cuckoo land. And it's meant to depict this self-created fantasy world of absurd idealism. And this was the context and the kind of vision I had when I started out writing this story. And I think um, for a lot, a lot of us, um, we, we start off in the corporate workforce being very idealistic, brimming with enthusiasm and wanting to, you know, like do the best that we can. And through the story, I just kind of wanted to explore how, you know, the contemporary um, corporate landscape and the institutions within it kind of, I wouldn't say 
exploit but make demands on the idealism of these workers to the point where yeah I, I, I guess I wanted to kind of explore um to what extent um a worker who is just like fresh out of school and very enthusiastic about her new job and wanting to do the best that she can like what boundaries is she willing to set for herself, if any, and to what extent could this um idealism um be drawn on to achieve an organization or institution or corporations aims? So I wanted to talk about one more story um in the collection. And I believe I think it's the very last one. Um, don't be foolish which um, is about the relationship between um, a a live-in domestic helper, which is, I think, a very, it's a very unique um, category, I think, is basically seen in Singapore, Hong Kong, a few other kind of big global cities and not in very many other places. Um, but the relationship between, between a domestic helper and, um, and the daughter of the, of the employer um and obviously it's a very complicated relationship it's one of family ties but also one that has you know obviously it's an employer employee relationship too um and your story gets into that and so i think maybe in terms of the my last question about about the stories in your collection um i wonder if i talk a little bit about that relationship and why you wanted to make that the centerpiece for one of the stories in your collection yeah, I think um as you mentioned earlier, like this um this trend of having um domestic helpers is quite particular or unique to certain global cities like Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, for example. And I think the way they are perceived um commonly or as as I was growing up, um it was just a very um natural or common um, way of life and it didn't seem to be that people thought very much about the forces behind it or at least it didn't feel that way to me and it was not until like I was older that I started think it, I started thinking more into um the systemic forces that lead to this situation. So how, you know, like in Singapore, it's very difficult for a family, for example, to survive on a single income. And therefore, usually within a traditional family structure, both parents would have to work. And then the burden of childcare then falls to either the grandparents um, or um, the hiring of domestic helpers to kind of share the the responsibilities of caring for the children and for the household and things like that. And I think for me, um, I was quite keen to explore um, from the perspective of a domestic worker, for example, how that journey would feel like coming from one home country to a completely new city and having to build up a new life and the sacrifices um, such a character would have to go through and the struggles as well 
and I, I decided to kind of um, write this story in a dual perspective. So alternating between the voice of the daughter of the employer and then the domestic helper. And in doing so, kind of also mirroring the developments in each of their lives. So for the daughter um, in the story, it kind of follows the life of the daughter as she progresses from primary school to secondary school and the changes that she goes through and her adolescence and kind of having a crush and falling, falling in love with a classmate and how that doesn't end up so well. And then similarly for the domestic worker as well. Um, and how initially through the building of a friendship between the daughter and the domestic helper seems to have quite solid foundations at the beginning and then they begin to kind of exchange secrets and build trust and solidarity with each other, um, especially because the mother is very busy with work and her personal life. So the daughter feels more and more distant to her mother and um, in turn feels closer to um, the domestic helper. But eventually when things go awry, um, how how the burden of, how the weight of the secrets that they have exchanged with each other have hold a disproportionate kind of weight on the, the two different characters. So I think through, I, I was trying to explore the dynamics of that relationship um, through the story and yeah. Um, you know, I, I maybe want to kind of wrap up our conversation by by returning to something you mentioned at, at the very beginning, um, which was kind of the inspiration um, for this whole collection was that you were you were overseas um, with limited ability to go back to Singapore. And that's and that's what pushed you to kind of write about to write about the city. Um, you know, your your book is not is not the only book that's writing about Singapore and the unique aspects of Singaporean life. Um, you're not the first book on the show to have written about that. Um, and it seems like the city and the country is kind of rife with possibility for this kind of fiction. Is there something about Singapore, about its people um, of all kinds, lower class, middle class, upper, upper middle class, um, the people that live in Singapore that makes the city such fertile ground for creative writing? Mm. Well, that's an interesting question. I think for me, the main reason why I chose to write about Singapore was because I lived in, I grew up in Singapore. I lived in Singapore for many years. And only after having left Singapore was I able to see with much more clarity um the eccentricities and the realities of life in Singapore compared to say in Germany or in London or a different place. And I, I wouldn't have been able to have had that perspective had I not left. And it made my observations and certain um feelings and um thoughts I had about Singapore more distinct. Um, and that was the main reason that drove me to write about it. And I, I feel like, I, I think you could probably say that about every place, you know, like 
being a fertile ground um, for imagination and inspiration to write a book, I think. At least for me, it's really about like the feelings and the emotions um, that tie me to a particular place and that kind of sparks the questions within me um, that I kind of fake the answers to through writing short fiction, for example. And I imagine that the same could happen if I were to live in Germany for, I don't know, another maybe five years and having experienced different things and um, that could likewise lead me to write a book about it. Um, but having said that, I think Singapore is definitely a very unique place um, because of how it's positioned um, globally. There is this um, side to it that is very glamorous, very prosperous, and very successful on many accounts. But on the other hand, there are also um, a number of significant issues that um, Singapore is grappling with, I think, um, and issues that are kind of, I wouldn't say unsettling, but um, influencing the validity of the social compact that has sustained um, its economic success for so long. And I think like this small little points of tension um, at this point in time is what makes it very interesting because it generates so many questions and so many possibilities in terms of what Singapore could look like. Um, what is the society um, that you know we want to build not only for this generation but also for the next? And there is all kind of dependent on the kind of decisions that we make collectively as a nation, as a society, as a community today. Um, and I think often it is through stories and through imagining different possibilities and putting yourself in the perspectives of people whom you may not usually or think about um, that helps you to kind of gain a more nuanced understanding of um, the situation and to make more informed choices about um, the decisions that we make, not just the everyday decisions, but also the larger decisions at hand. So, yeah, I think um, this is how I think it is. I think that's a great place to end our conversation with Agnes Chu, author of Eternal Summer of My Homeland. Agnes, I actually have two final questions for you which are, uh, where can people find your work? Not just this book, but all of your work. And what's next for you? What do you think the next project might be? Mm -hmm. Well, my book can be found in bookstores all around Singapore and online at the online store of my publisher, Epigram Books. Um, I have several short stories published in various literary journals like Granta and so on, and they all can be found uh, on my website. Um, the ebook version of Eternal Summer can also be found on Amazon, Apple Books, Google Play, and all other um, ebook platforms. 
Um, in terms of um, what was the second question? What do you think the next project might be? All right, sorry. Um, in terms of the next project, I'm currently working on a novel. Um, and I hope to be able to share more details in time to come. Hmm. Well, again, I I look forward to to hearing more about that when it comes time to share more details about about that novel. Um. So you can follow me, Nicholas Gordon, on Twitter at Nick R. I. Gordon. That's N-I-C-K-R-I-G-O-R-D-O-N. You can go to AsianReviewBooks.com to find other reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts. Follow on Twitter at Book Reviews Asia. That's reviews plural. And you can find many more author interviews at the New Books Network at NewBooksNetwork.com. We're on all our favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Rate us, recommend us, share us with your friends. Support us interviewing those writing in, around, and about Asia. Next week, joins for an interview with Joshua Ehrlich, author of The East India Company and The Politics of Knowledge. But before then, Agnes, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me.